Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Don Schwartz is an actor and journalist. His book, Telling Their Own Stories, Conversations with Documentary Filmmakers, is available from Amazon. His film reviews and filmmaker profiles appear regularly on FromTheHeartProductions.com, and Don posts new reviews almost daily. He holds BA, MA, PhD degrees in psychology and counseling, and Dissecting Docs is dedicated to our most precious and beloved filmmakers, the documentary filmmaker. We are here to honor these brilliant creatives who give of their time, energy, and sometimes their freedom to bring us the honest truth. They are our last vestige of sincere, unbiased reporters who give of their time, their labor, and put their heart, creativity, and sometimes their freedom into bringing us the truth. And we will cover five shows today. Academy Award winner Citizen Four, American Outrage, Buto, Enter Here, and Going Clear. And we thank HBO and First Run Features for their screeners. Our critics are Don Schwartz and Carol Dean. Thank you so much, Claire and Don. I have to say I'm really excited about the show today because we've got some political films, uh, films that show us the history, uh, for example, in Pakistan with Bahuto and what she did with her life. Uh, it's a great film. Citizen Four, of course, Academy Award winner, and uh, American Outrage, and on and on. I think you will really enjoy the films. And the reason we're doing this is to give you some ideas of what's out there in documentaries because we want to promote the documentary world and open it up to you so that if whichever of these shows are, or several of these shows, I hope, can be uh, acquired. You can watch them. But you, if you want to know what's hot, we'll tell you on this show. So, John, why don't you get started and tell us about Citizen Four. Uh, thank you, Carol. Thank you, Claire. Mm-hmm. Citizen Four is an HBO documentary directed by Laura Poitras, and it tells the story of U.S. federal contract worker Edward Snowden, who has made headlines for a couple years now, having released highly top-secret U.S. government documents to journalist Glenn Greenwald. And I consider this a masterpiece of documentary filmmaking. Both the filmmaker and the journalist Glenn Greenwald, in addition to, of course, Edward Snowden, have come up against the federal government, and they've managed to to, uh, Laura Poitras managed to make a great film and cover this release. And the the film, the, the most intense part of this film is also the quietest. We are in a hotel room in Hong Kong, I believe, when Edward Snowden quietly hands a flash drive to journalist Glenn Greenwald. 
And that is the moment of the release. And the room is, is very quiet. There's very little, if any, talking. And, and that moment stands out for me in terms of, of uh, the most intense, passionate moment, which is the quietest. Uh, th- this film, another reason I think why it won, won the Oscar, is a little bit like watching Ron Howard's Apollo 13 or maybe watching a film about the Bible. You know what's going to happen but you're kept on the edge of your seat. And, and Laura Poitras, through directing, editing, and her participation, kept us on the edge of our seat the entire time. And my personal reaction is I was just impressed with the bravery of everyone involved. And, uh, and, and to uh, the federal government, Edward Snowden is a criminal, and to me, he is a hero. Well said, Don. But you know what? You're absolutely right, because Man on Wire was another film where we all knew what happened. But watching the film, it was, they took a story that we all thought we knew, but we didn't know. And they showed us the inside of it, and it became the Academy Award-winning film. So, well done. This film did the same thing. We all thought we knew what happened, but we didn't know until we saw this film, did we? Not at all, and and that after all the storm and and lightning and thunder, what happened was somebody quietly handing somebody else a flash drive. It's amazing, totally amazing. <clears throat> I thought it was riveting, and it's one of the films that you say, "Wait, what did he say? What did he say?" Anyway, I have to rewind that, please. <laughs> I couldn't believe some of the things he said that were happening. In our world, it was as if I had gone down a rabbit hole and I was in another parallel universe, a place that I didn't want to be, actually. But I I just found there were a lot of places in the film with shocking information where you sat there dumbfounded. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Well, uh, my favorite part was when they were in the hotel room and they were all there and Laura was there and several other people. And Edward Snowden said, oh, wait, I have to unplug the hotel phone. Because this type of phone acts as a microphone, and they can hear and record our conversations. He actually said that. you remember that scene? Uh, yes, I do. So this I'm... tells you you're not safe in a hotel room without being monitored. Uh, Carol, it's got to the point where I just assume everything I... I say and write is can be heard, so it influences how I speak. It does, and it is it is not fun. This is totally against our constitution, and it's the reason that we left England in the first place. Anyway, if you're thinking, should I see this or not? Well, I want Academy Award. I know it's a good film. Don't think. It, it, this is one of the films that. We really, you really need to see because what you have to do is realize what Edward Snowden gave up for us. He gave up his good-paying job, his family, his friends, his apartment, almost all of his personal possessions. He walked out of there with a suitcase. That was it. Perhaps he gave up his career, and most of all, he gave up his freedom. At the end of the film, he was in Russia, and they had agreed to give him a home for a year. And uh, his girlfriend had joined him, which was lovely. But when 
we were we were outside. This is a smart way to show us is separated from all of us now. The camera was outside of the apartment showing them cooking their dinner inside the apartment uh, because now he's become a fish in, in a goldfish bowl and we're all looking at him. Um, so what's going to happen in the year and, and where he goes, we, all of this has to come out. But all of this because he did what he felt was needed to show us what the government is doing to our privacy rights. Actually, we don't have any anymore. It's exactly right, Don. We have no privacy. But I just want people to realize how important this information is for all of us to know what the government is doing, and that's why I really encourage you to see Citizen Four. Now, by the same token, we have to think of what happened to the filmmaker. And Laura was on a documentary now. Um, you can get it at uh, documentarynow.org. And she was interviewed, and she said that she has been stopped about 40 times now at every airport, usually when she's leaving the U.S., but now it's starting when she's coming into the U.S. They uh, they put her through this detention process. And uh, it started in 2006 when she was working on her film, My Country, My Country, about post-invasion Iraq. These are the kind of things that uh, we really appreciate filmmakers making these films for us. But she's been searched almost 40 times. She's had her laptop, her cell phone, and her personal belongings repeatedly searched. And now she says she's being questioned by Homeland Security in cities where she is departing. She's leaving Germany, and she was questioned before she got to leave. But she did talk about one trip to Newark where she was met by two agents and was used to this, so she took out her pen and paper to ask what was this about and how long they thought it would take, and they said, put your pen away. Well, I've always been allowed, I'm a reporter, I've always been allowed to take notes. No, you cannot take notes. Why? Well, because that pen is a dangerous weapon, they said. (laughs) You have to listen to the interview. Right, you know, and she talked about that a bit in, in, the, in the film itself. So what we need, Carol, is we need to have Alex Gibney make a documentary about the life of Laura Poitras. Wow, yes. Yeah. Well, this is so true, and this is why I'm saying we need to support Laura because she's one of our brilliant reporters who's also given up much of her freedom. We need to respect and support the work she's doing to bring us the truth. So... I wish we could all say, just keep going, we have your back. But not many people realize what she goes through. So the way we can support her is by buying the DVD or paying for the download or going to her uh, Facebook page and clicking like or whatever we have to do to let her know that we fully support uh, the things she's given up for us. And, and Don... Since when is a whistleblower called a terrorist? Whistleblower, terrorist, spy. They're always wondering what she's up to, so she, they just figure she's a spy, too. Oh, goodness. Well, all right, so let's go to American Outrage. I can't think of a better title for that film. Can you? 
Uh, absolutely. American Outrage is directed by Beth Gage and George Gage, and it's a first-run features film. And it's about something I never heard of before, but that's the whole purpose of seeing documentary films. Uh, it's about the United States government's abuse and destruction of Native American lands and the mistreatment of Native Americans. What's unique about this film is, is, is its focus. It focuses on a pair of elderly grandmothers, Carrie and Mary Dan. They are members of the excuse me, pronunciation Shoshone Nation. They are members of the Shoshone Nation, and they live on Shoshone land. And they are ranchers. That's their work, and, and the film shows them doing pretty heavy work. Work I probably couldn't do, taking care of their ranch, and the United States. They want they want that land for uranium mining, probably milling too, and they're trying to protect their ranch and uh, itself. And they're also trying to protect the huge swath of land on which their ranch exists. And the film covers the attempts of the Bureau of Land Management to grab the land, and it lets us know in no uncertain terms that the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management has supported supported by resource extraction industries resource extraction oil uranium gas and the film just outlines the moves the bureau of land management makes against the Shoshone uh land against against the two ranchers and the their fights back uh, and and the fight is noble it's it's a David and Goliath, and what's unique about this particular fight is is the grandmothers ended up having their case brought before the United Nations, and that was utterly sensational to see that happen. Uh, and and the, the title says it all. You cannot watch this film without just being totally outraged at at the overall uh, our overall approach to the Native Americans and how these two elderly grandmothers who are doing nothing less and nothing more than than uh having a ranch and wanting to help people with it uh are treated and that's it well when we uh consider the many plights that uh the native americans have been through this is one more for us to be aware of, understand more of the depths that are going mm-hmm. on, you know, with their their plight, and uh, and see see what's happening to take things to the next level, so that we can get past some of the you know the things that we've just been uh, uh, bumping our heads up against the wall with. It's time to get past that. And I, I believe that that's what they're showing us. Right, so, and this, this is a microcosm. Right. Go ahead, John. In other words, this, well, this, is, this film is a microcosm of the macrocosm. Mm-hmm. Right. Carrie and Mary are their names. Carrie and Mary Dan. They are these feisty Western Shoshone sisters, and they have endured five terrifying livestock roundups by armed federal marshals. <clears throat> and they took a thousand of their horses and cattle that were confiscated 
uh, and they were uh, because they were grazing their livestock on the open range outside their private ranch. Well, that range is part of a 60 million acre package that was recognized as Western Shoshone by the United States in the 1863 Treaty of Ruby Valley. But in 1974, the U.S. sued the Dan sisters for trespassing on the land without a permit, and that set off this dispute between the sisters and the U.S. government. Uh, so the point is, <laughs> there we go again. We give it to them, and then we take it back. So you wonder what's going on with our government. Why Why are they reneging on agreements, and particularly with the Indians that have been so persecuted? I've seen other countries that have taken care of the indigenous population much better than we have in the United States, and this never gets in the news. So American Outrage is a very important film because it asks why the U.S. government has spent millions prosecuting two elderly women who are raising just a few hundred horses and cows in a desolate desert. What is the story here? And, of course, uh, the sisters think that they are taking care of Mother Earth, but this land is the second largest gold-producing area in the world, Don. So there you are. It's always money and greed at the root cause of horrific actions. (laughs) But I can't believe what's in this film. They could, several times they caught on camera U.S. officials manhandling the Dan sisters. They were hurting them, twisting one of the women's arms. And um, this isn't just emotional harassment or, or theft by the government taking their cattle away. It is also physical torture. And, I mean, of course, torture is okay now by the government. So we're supposed to let this go? I don't think so. I really want to know what's happened to our government to give authority such power to act inhumane because these are elderly women, and these people had no respect for them or their land. And it wasn't uh, like, I'm so sorry we have to do this, but here's our orders and stuff. No, they were mean and rude and forceful, and and they seem like the criminals, certainly not these two uh, elderly women. But anyway, um, it's a, it's an interesting story that uh, goes back to the beginning when they got the land, but mostly you're going to see how they have been mistreated, and nobody is doing anything about it. Now, let's look at them. Uh, they They both have old houses. They live uh, without money. They have, are very uh, austere, I would say frugal people. They live off their land. They uh, will kill a cow and then freeze it, and that's what they eat, and they grow their own food, and they get the nuts and berries from around them. So if they were in it for money, they could have sold that cattle and those horses, right? Absolutely. And had, and had money. Mm-hmm. But you can see the inside of their houses. They're not updated. They're not wearing uh, any jewelry. They don't have. Uh, they haven't spent their money on houses, cars, jewelry, uh, remaking their homes. Nothing. They are just taking care of the land, and they're giving the horses and the cattle an, a place to graze. And thousands of people 
uh, put their uh, livestock on government land. Why pick on them? Oh, my question is, what did they do uh, with the animals that they took? Did they slaughter them? Right? What happened to the wild horses after they rounded them up? What did they do? Did they sell them for uh, dog food? What? I mean, how can we let this go and not do anything about it is my question. So I recommend that you consider supporting this filmmaker, too, uh, Take a look at this film if you're interested in this type of film where uh, it's an inhumane act to man. That's what this is all about. It should be outrage for all of us. So let's go to another fantastic life story of the Hutto family. Don, would you tell us what you found about this film? Uh, this is a documentary that is of epic proportions. It tells two stories, the personal story of Benazir Bhutto, who was the first woman in history to lead a Muslim nation. It tells her personal story and her political story, trying to bring authentic democracy to the nation of Pakistan. And I'm not quite sure. Sure. How how many people know about Benazir Bhutto? So uh, I'm wondering about that. But uh, she was assassinated, and the the film tells the entire story pretty much from from beginning to her assassination and beyond. And uh, when the, when this film ended, I felt like I've been to a to a I felt like I've been to a movie theater and seen a two and a half hour epic story like like Lawrence of Arabia it, it, it was sensationally produced and yes. and one one other thing i want to say about it uh but I, before i forget is that it was such a strong film if i was a hollywood mogul i would green light this film immediately but because of what happened with Seth Rogen's the interview and north korea uh, effectively stopping Sony from releasing it, uh, there's just no way that, they could, that you could release this a film about Benazir Bhutto, even though it would be such a great film. But what we do have is this documentary, and this documentary is as good as it gets. Yes, yes. Technically, it's perfect, right? Yes. No flaws. It's absolutely brilliant. Well, didn't... I mean, they they give us such... History. I mean, they really have done a, a, a good film because you you learn why Pakistan is the home of terrorists now. It's all in the film. Mm-hmm. And how, uh, once again, America took the wrong side. And there uh, was a pivotal point, and we took the wrong. We went the wrong way. Um, but I didn't know that Pakistan was the sixth largest nation in the world, with the second largest largest. Muslim population, right, and that it was created by the United Kingdom when when uh, when they left India, uh, they just gave what they thought were the Muslim people. There, here, you take that, and India gets this. And, right, and the both, Hindus and the Muslims they separated them. And right, you're right, but that's where a million people died. That was the greatest mass migration in history when the. Muslims had to walk back over. Uh, they did. They walked to the section that they gave them called Pakistan. 
Oh, it's so, the history of Pakistan and the Bahuto families, right? Hmm? You thought it was uh, history of Pakistan as well as the families. History. Absolutely. Well, it's a sort of an outline of, of that history. And our involvement with Pakistan, which is about as dark as it can get, and and uh, there's just a lot of, of tremendous amount of information that's, that will probably never be revealed about what's going on between our government and their government. Right. But but well, it, is, it, it is the character of Benazir Bhutto, uh, her 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 tenacity, her her faith in democracy, her her bravery, her willingness to confront to confront uh, rigid belief systems and and to confront violence and to make herself vulnerable. Uh, and, and then she's a family. She's she has a family. She's a mother. She's a wife. All that gets interwoven in this film. It's really true. Thank you. That's a great overview. Uh, but isn't she gorgeous? Yes, beautiful inside and out. Inside and out. I could. I think you can compare her to, to Princess Grace of Monaco. He has elegance, style, education. Uh, oh, she is a well-versed uh, person. Uh, straight shoots straight from the hip, we'd say in Texas. <laughs> she mm-hmm. It is right. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, once you realize how poor these people are in Pakistan, you realize how this is a hotbed for growing terrorists because. Seventy-three percent of the people earn less than two dollars a day. Forty-two percent of women are illiterate. However, the military budget is gigantic. So, this is how the extreme military Taliban Muslim uh, movement was created. Right inside of that, they destroyed 473 girls' school in just two years because. You do not want women educated, and they want them shrouded in the burqas. Uh, and we give them $15 billion a year in American aid. So either of you want to know why, why we do this? Well, Lord knows, but also they are a nuclear nation, and that raises the stakes Absolutely. Well, this is what happened because um, this that was the turning point. One of the major turning points in the film was when India had the bomb, and uh, the father said, "We have to get, we have to create the bomb." And I don't care if we all have to eat grass; we must be able to protect ourselves from India. And and that is when Messenger um, said no. Uh, We'll make a horrible example out of you, Mr. Bhutto, and he helped Zahir get into power. And that put the Muslims in total charge. And to destroy the family, the father was charged with murder, and they went after the children. Uh, and when he was in prison, Benazar came out, and she became active and became another charismatic leader like her father. They hanged the father, and then the fear took over the country. Uh, and, of course, they put it under martial law. But this is where the birth of uh, jihadists and the uh, um, Muslim terrorists began because they took 
it seemed that at that time half of the population was under 15 years of age. So they took all the young kids and put them into uh, schools. Madrasas. Uh, yes. The madrasas, what they call the Muslim schools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They taught them the hatred and the warped interpretation uh, of uh, the Muslims' uh, religion, so that so that they could create uh, if the, an endless source of of workers to support Osama bin Laden. He's in there, and all of this is going on to uh, promote terrorism, but. What is what really happened was that we got involved. Kissinger said, we'll make a horrible example out of you, and he did. He destroyed the father, got the father hung. They imprisoned uh, her for two years. She had no one to talk to. She was in a Class C prison, the worst in the country. Talked to no one. And actually, her jaw locked, and she couldn't talk for a long time after that. And her brother was poisoned, and, I mean, they did. They took the whole family out because that family was considered the Kennedys of um, of Pakistan because the father was so charismatic. They loved the mother. She was beautiful. And the the children, all well-educated, had gone to Harvard, and that's where she saw women who were free, and she was there during the uh, anti-war demonstrations. She realized the power of the people, and she learned a lot in America. And uh, a spokesperson for the Pakistanis, and she really loved her country, didn't she, John? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had two brilliant leaders in Pakistan that could have taken the whole country in a totally different direction had we not intervened and taken the wrong uh, stand. Yeah, she was beloved by her people. She had she had that support. Right. So it's a really good film to watch. You're going to learn so much about the history of Pakistan. Even though you don't want to know about it, you <laughs> need to know what happened and how the whole country shifted because the father wanted to create a middle class and he wanted to create more jobs. He recognized the need to get them out of poverty and how to do that. Uh, and she did a good job when she well, she got in to be the PM. She brought in fiber optic, cell phones, CNN, BBC, etc. And she built 48,000 primary and secondary schools. So she was on target. But... Uh, they really got rid of her, and, and partially because she was a woman. So um, it's a film that really will curl your hair. I recommend it. Yeah, uh, so, Carol, I just want to make sure it's a one-word title, and the title is Butto. It's spelled B-H-U-T-T-O. That's how you can find it. Just look for B-H-U-T-T-O, Butto. Okay, great. So tell us what you think about Enter Here. Enter Here is uh, similar in the sense that it's about, uh, similar to almost the other three films we've done, it's about an artist who all he wanted to do was be an artist, but this was in uh, the Soviet Union. And the artist's name is Ilya Kabakov, and it's his story about 
uh, about dealing with the oppression and suppression of art and artists in Soviet Russia. But in telling that story, they're actually telling the, the, their overall story of, although it was called communism, uh, what was going on is a form of fascism where they just wanted to put a very specific order onto the entire population. So uh, the film is a first-run features. It's directed, produced and directed by Ami Wallet, Wallach. Uh, I have to spell the name, A-M-E-I, so I don't know how to pronounce that, Carol uh, I'm just guessing Ami or M-A, and Wallach, W-A-L-L-A-C-H. That's his film. It's a, it's a terrific film, it, it, and Ilya Kabakov uh, managed to escape from, from uh, Soviet Russia, and, and, and he, had, a, he, had, he has, had and has a career in the West. And the, this film tells his story, and it includes... It includes Emilia, his wife. As a matter of fact, the full title of this film is Ilya and Emilia Kabakov, colon, Enter Here. And they cover uh, the couple and the artist uh, at a time when he is returning to Russia. And it's very clear that there's a tremendous amount of emotions going on in the artist as he's uh, anticipating and then going through what is a massive exhibit of his work in Moscow. So the the uh, the film covers that exhibit, and and what they did with him and for him is created six different walkthrough installations peppered throughout the city of Moscow, including one at the Pushkin Museum, which I presume is something like their Museum of Modern Art, and and we see as he, as he goes through this this exib- exhibition that he is confronting his, his, his past. He's confronting what happened to him as a child and as a young adult. And his wife is kind of like his manager. So she's a major character in, the, in this film. A lot, lot of dialogue is between the Emilia and uh, Ilya. And uh, the filmmaker, last name Wallach, is also Ilya Kabakov's first biographer. So he was in, in a perfect position to cover this life. The production quality is superb. You get to see a lot of art. You get to hear a lot of stories. And uh, I love this film. That's all I can say. Yeah, I see you did, and that's wonderful. <clears throat> I thought its emotional heart was that letter which uh, Ilya Kabakov's mother wrote him when she was 80, Talking about everyday horrors of her life in the Russian in Russia after the revolution and during it, and this letter merges in the art in archival footage and in voiceover, um, and so that gives us the essence of the film, uh, what it was like to be in Russia during that time. But I have never seen anyone so creative. I mean, the way he took things and <clears throat> and pasted them to rooms and desks and walls and everything. I mean, uh, it's he created brilliant washes. His art is so unique, and and it's it is a perfect type of art uh, for these six walkthrough installations uh, that he built, because you have to be in it to feel it, to know it, to experience it, right? 
Yes, and, and some of them are really big. I mean, it makes you want to wish, oh, I wish I could go there and walk through them. Yes, yes, because that's where you really experience it. Um, I thought it was a masterpiece, and I have to agree with you that Wallach uh, did a great job, and what I understand is that he had unparalleled access to the artist and to the global community of their friends, and that's why the film is so good, because he he really got up close and personal uh, with the artist and their lives, and it explores the way in which art can outwit oppression maintain its meaning for decades. Oh, yes, I highly recommend it. Now let's go to the HBO film, Going Clear. Well, uh, Carol, this is a film which is not literally years in the making, but it has taken years, if not decades, for there to be the support and bravery of confronting Scientology, the Church of Scientology. It's called Going Clear, Scientology in the Prism of Belief. And it's supported by HBO, and it was written and directed by uh, what I consider to be a legendary documentary filmmaker, Alex Gibney. And the combination of HBO and Alex Gibney is what it took to get to get this film going. Alex Gibney is like the Ingmar Bergman, the... Uh, the Steven Spielberg, uh, the Josh Whedon, depending upon your generation, of documentary filmmakers. And he wrote and directed the film, and it was based upon a book by Lawrence Wright. Again, the book is an expose, and and the film uh, just is a follow-up to that book. And Gibney interviews eight former Scientologists, and they're talking about their experiences in the organization. By the way, uh, one one revelation to me was the organization has a net worth of $3 billion. No doubt about it. They own, they, they went to Hollywood and bought up all of these older areas and houses and just made them into palaces and built incredible buildings. They are loaded with money. Money is the main issue with Scientology. Absolutely, and by the way, they also talked about properties that they own around the world now. Oh my gosh! And and uh, so we also learn we learn about the founder's life, L. Ron Hubbard, and we learn a lot about the current leader who took over from L. Ron Hubbard, whose name is David Miscavige, and uh, and the, that David Miscavige seems to be. Uh, the, the you know leading the darkness just leading the darkness and the exploitation of of the of the organization and they impl- they imply that he's also literally physically abusive to church members and the the the, the, the uh, sensationalism of celebrities involved with Scientology could not be avoided so naturally they talk about John Travolta and they talk about Tom Cruise and Carol at the end of this film. I had to, first of all, I had to repair my dropped jaw. <laughs> and, and, and after I did, I, I started asking questions. Well, so Alice Gibney and HBO did a, a terrific job. They did a standard-bearing job. And I wanted to know, how will the federal government, the United States government, respond to this film? Will the IRS allow the organization to keep its tax-exempt status? 
and will the church's leadership be investigated for criminal activity? And of course, I haven't heard it. Tell you, I had a lawsuit when I was running my company, and I hired their attorney, and uh, he is brilliant. He had been through all of the programs, Don, and I took him through my books and my uh, procedures at my company. And he would say, okay, got that, next. Oh, 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 but this goes to this, did you get that? Oh, yeah, I got this, I got that, I got that, what's next? In one afternoon, he had a thorough understanding of everything. I've never seen a mind so um, open and clear. I understand the word clear from working with him. (laughs) This guy could just take tons of information in at one time and have a total picture and he had been through a lot of the classes so that's saying something good about him he's a very smart man he was a part of i'm sure there was a team but anyway he's known as the lawyer that won the case um they cited some very important uh laws as uh support to support them in that decision so it's going to take an act of God to reverse it, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Don't, the point is that they have the money, they have the time, and they have the personnel because these people who are part of this organization, it's in their blood, Don. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like being part of a cult. You know, they, they'll do anything. They'll fight to the death to get it status maintained. And I, this is one of those documentary films where I would like to see a documentary about the documentary, especially I'd like to see the impact of the film. That's, I, that happens a lot with documentary films. You wonder, okay, this film has revealed this information to the public. What happens next? What has been the impact? I'd like, I'd like to know about that. But one thing I thought about, about this film is the, the, uh, the subtitle. Again, the title is Going Clear, and the subtitle is Scientology in the Prison of Belief. So when you watch this and you see the extent to which people can be manipulated by words and ideas and notions, uh, Scientology does not hold a monopoly on imprisoning people with structured belief systems. No, it's on our television quite often. Right. And and, uh, we think there, but for the grace of God, go I, but... Uh, really? Am I going? Uh, am I? Am I free? Uh, <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I don't know anymore. But these are this group of films teaches you that you better you better get outside and walk around and smell the roses because that's one of the few things that sunsets and moons are about uh, uh, the few things that are left to us that really belong to us at this point. Well, so I, I want to just say Alex Gidney, is, he, he is a hero. He's a quiet hero. And uh, so I'm always, anything that Alex Gibney's making, I'm, I'm watching it. Agreed. Agreed. He's brilliant. I really appreciate his work. Well, I'll say this, that um, this attorney said, you've got, Carol, you've got to go to Scientology. No, not to understand. Oh, please, you've got to go for me. All right. So he said, go here. And they will take you upstairs in Hollywood to the uh, executive suite where 
Tom and everybody hangs out. Okay, so I get there, and they uh, are falling over themselves, very graceful, very kind, take really good care of me. But, you know, something there's something fishy about the whole thing. I, it didn't feel right to me. So, however, I, I said, okay, he said, take a class, take a class, and you'll love it. I took a class in communication. And it was good. I enjoyed the class. But there was something that happened during the class. The instructor did some things I didn't like. So at the end of the class, to sort of get your graduation or your certificate, you go talk to one of their processors. And you they give you two metal bars, one for each hand. You hold that. And it's like a, a truth machine. So... She said, "Were you? did you enjoy the class? Yes. Uh, no, you didn't. There's something there you didn't like. What? She <laughs> <He> said, <laughs> no. Um, this machine shows me that you're upset with something. And I said, well, yes, I was not too happy about a couple of things that happened. Well, what are they? No, I'd rather not share it. Oh, but you have to. You have to tell me because we have to clear it. I said, well, I'm going to tell you, you can clear a lot of things today, but you're not going to clear me. I, I don't <laughs> And that was it. I left. Um, because that was the most invasive thing I have ever done. Uh, and that, and you can imagine working with people who will then tell you things that they have done in their lives they wish they hadn't. They have to have dossiers like Hoover had. Of people, right? Well, yeah, dossier might be too small of a word that they, they for the, the 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 powerful people they have massive amounts of information because to get that high in the organization you have to be cleared, and then the clearing process is it takes uh, hundreds of hours and that's all recorded and kept and archived and accessible to the organization's leadership. And that's how they stock up so much money, because this is not cheap. Uh, and um, the thing is that uh, they have me on their mailing list, and I can't get off. <laughs> uh, uh, but my also my massage therapist was a member, and she was so much into that place. And then she woke up one day and realized that she was part of a cult. In her opinion, that's what she called it. And she walked away from there, and she has been so much better. Her life has gone much better for her since she left. So I know it has helped a lot of people, but uh, it's a strange, I'd say it's a strange organization. I really think Ron Howard started out with some ideas to help improve or expand your consciousness. But then that has turned into a money-making machine, and I don't know that there is anything left there to that is really uh, to empower, nurture, or support people. It may be all to empower, support, and nurture Scientology. So, all right. So we have some. We have five more shows, uh, films to give you next time. So look for us next month. We'll be back every once a month with five films that we think that you would like to know about. And uh, you've uh, we've got one or two already said, so we'll be posting soon on 
Blog Talk Radio, what it is we'll be talking about. And I look forward to hearing your comments, Don, and thank you so much for what you did today. It was brilliant. Well, thank you, Carol. Thank you, Claire. Oh, Thanks. yes, yes. So a lot more... A lot more good to do with these films and uh, a lot more to talk about with the many uh, documentaries that are out there to cover. So thank you both so much. Great job. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Be well, everyone. Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.